The following is an archival presentation of The Sands of Time, hosted by Joyce Johnson. Before her passing in 2014, Joyce spent more than 25 years recording interviews with her fascinating neighbors. WOMR is committed to preserving this archive and sharing it with our listeners. Some of the material has become dated, but it remains as interesting and vital as ever. Good evening, this is Joyce Johnson with The Sands of Time, a program that deals with the history, past, present, and future of the Lower Cape through interviews with its unique citizenry. Today, we will be hearing a program taped last year in which Julie Cohen interviews Provincetown resident and historian Grace Collinson. We are repeating this series of tapes made by Julia for the next few weeks as Grace tells us about the origins and customs of the Portuguese colony in Provincetown. Now here's Julia Cohen. Roots, a new program on WOMR coming out of the Special Programming Department and is concerned with the preservation of local oral history through a series of interviews with the Provincetowners who were there. This is our third program of Provincetown Roots and we are fortunate enough to have Grace Collinson as our guest. Grace is a Portuguese woman who came to Provincetown at the age of eight and has been here ever since. She's now 74 years old. And on our second program, uh, she ended by discussing the Azorian people who settled in Provincetown. And she's now going to uh, finish up with the Azorians and begin with the continental Portuguese people. It's nice to have you here, Grace. Well, I'll say that I'm glad I'm here. Happy, in fact. This is a tale long untold, too long untold, because if it had been done right from the very beginning of some group in this town, a lot of things, mm, tragedies would not have happened. I belong to the continental group. When we say continental, we are talking about people who come from the south, from, you could almost call it, the county of Algarve, which is the southern part, southern coast. They came from Stubal, which is, they came from Lisbon. And that's the middle part of Portugal. And some came from north, particularly from a village that bears such a beautiful name as Viana do Cristel. We came, this group came between the years of 1900 to 1920. I came in 1917 with my mother to see my to see to meet my father and to stay in America and I have never seen my father. Although he had gone to Portugal but at that particular time I was I was staying with a member of the family 
out in the uh, in the country. We are. Uh, I think they they were oh, uh, this particular group, particularly in the latter part of the time, around in the nineteen tens, nineteen nines, was the overthrow of the government, the king, the royal house, and the establishment of a de of a, a republic. Well, we came, my father sent us money, and sent my mother money. By the way, my mother had had six children. No, I beg your pardon, five, and with me would have been six. Mm -hmm. And she lost them. And I was the only one to have survived them all. And so she took very extra good care, care. of me. And in order so that she would not be considered too, too, too low on the social ladder, my mother bought herself a hat. <laughs> See, I don't think she ever wore it, but she had it standby just in case she needed it. We could not come and land at Ellis Island. At that time, this was a big, big thing that was going on in all the countries of Europe to get to America. Why Provincetown, Grace? Because this is where my mother, my father was. Mm -hmm. My father went fishing to the Grand Banks and from the Grand Banks uh, he got acquainted with a, with a captain of a boat who lived, a vessel, not a boat, who lived in Provincetown, and this is how they did, and some of them jumped ship and, were, and sneaked into the United States. My father did it the, the right way. He, he had to declare the passport and all. But they did make a little comment on my father's passport, that it was at the time that there was, uh, that he might have been recruited. <laughs> Just in case, and it was done in red ink so that they would notice that he would be subject to call in case he were um, had intention of declaring himself a, a, citizen, a citizen of the, of the United States. So he had come ahead and then called. Uh, um, we came on the on the Faber line from Rome, from Italy, and there were some people aboard us they were coming here too, only we did not you know, know. Other than them. And I, we landed, we couldn't land at Boston, it was too crowded. So we came and we landed at Providence. And I remember being on the top and I'd look down because the boats, they were very high, considering the other boats that I was accustomed to. And, and considering your size. Yes, too. And I looked down and I saw a man who I wanted to be my father. <laughs> Never mind who my father was, but that man I wouldn't choose to be my father. I, I had a choice because I had no one. I had never <laughs> seen him, therefore I could choose who and get whom I wanted. I don't know what made me think of things like that. I was thinking that way. 
I came down the gang and be jiggered if I ran to the man whom I wanted my father, and I <laughs> call him Papa. He was not my father, but he was a man who was responsible for bringing, bringing my father to to providence, to to get us, and and be also a spokesman for my father who mm -hmm. couldn't speak English, and he was the man most instr instrumental in bringing the uh, people from from the continent, particularly right. from my village, to here, and his name was Manta. And the Manda house exists, but no Manta. They were all boys, and not one had any extra, uh, you know, um, issue with the exception of one. And uh, there will be no more Mantas after him. And it was a big family, great family, an important family, that. And he, they owned ships and whatnot. And my father went aboard his ship. So, so, pr so from Providence, how did you get to Provincetown? Uh, in the train. In the train. Yes, and I went to uh, to Lisbon. We went to Lisbon to get aboard the boat by train. Mm-hmm. And we went. We had a d little dark cart, a little cart, you know, with either donkey or a, a big dog, and uh, we'd go places to short distances. And then from there we took the, took the train to Lisbon. From Lisbon we went aboard the boat and came in. And uh, uh, and my father had rented a house, and I lived on Freeman Street. And then we moved up higher to Standish Street, and then Alden Street. Though that was the, you can call it a ghetto. Yet when it's, it's it's unfortunate that when you speak of the word that you associate it with the uh, terrible things you have seen on television and uh, uh, and also movies about the ghettos of New York. But they weren't ghettos like that. Right. We call it ghettos because they were all from the same, um, same country and the same language, the same civilization. So that there were the, those. Now you have the the uh, the people from the Cape Verdean in one section, and then coming towards the center of the town, you have the Azorians, and now in the very heart of the town, you have the the people. And because we passed through Lisbon, everybody called us Lisbonites, Lisbonites. <sighs> We were all from the Lisbon, and it and uh, it was bad enough for the Lisbon people or the the people who came from the continent to consider themselves good and superior. The others also kowtowed and made them even feel even more so by their acts and their their until they somehow they learned that that they had feet of clay like everybody else. But there was a great deal of not good feeling between them. There were gang wars of kids in high school. And uh, between the West End and the center, mm -hmm. between the center and the East End, but not so much that way. Now, 
the continental, the, the continental people were more, were educated, little, just a little. They were considered superior to the others. To the other two groups. But, but the other two groups, by virtue of self, self-aggrandizement and also having the other groups, and through their acts, giving them, uh, shall I say, a token of respect for being superior. And this is ridiculous because it wasn't. One now, you have the Cape Verdeans did not, were not very, very Catholic. The Azorians were greatly, the islands are very greatly uh, uh, Catholics. And the continental people, not such Catholics. They would go to church on Sunday. But they wouldn't be all this uh, devotion to to the ministry and so forth and so on that you found amongst the other. The food they ate differently. The food was not as thickly fl- flavored as the Azorean. Is that because uh, you were more north? In in Portugal, rather no, than the southern. No, the farther north you are, yes. Well, it seems it's it's ironic though. It's a, uh, it's it's a strange thing that the that the you should heat eat hot foods. In from hot countries, when it should be just the opposite. Right. And uh, they were not the the uh, continental people were not great pepper uh, people, and the sausages. The blood sausages, the blood puddings, and so forth were so so strong. We had mild, um, milder onions and, and garlic and uh, the same. That that was on Alden Street again. Ironically enough, on Alden Street, Stanley Street, and Freeman Street, names for the pilgrims were the <laughs> of uh, of the people of continents. I and I had, uh, I knew how to read and write when I came, and I had to. Go, there was no public schools where I come from. I had to go to a tutor, and I used to take my money in the corner of my handkerchief tied up, and, uh, and I didn't like my teacher, but uh, I learned, and then when they came here, what to do with the long nights, and so forth. I read. I had to read aloud. How did you feel when you first came from Provincetown? You were only about eight years old, and you had come all the way from Portugal, which was your home, to a a really foreign place. You don't think. You have to survive. As as a child, you have to survive against the other children. You don't think. You didn't. I'm quite sure I didn't think. I tell you this that I disliked intensely the way my mother dressed me. They called <laughs> their attention to me. I had starched things, you know, and I changed every day. That, that and I was queer. And no child. I understand now why children don't do things because they don't want to stand out. You're calling attention to your, oh, you're wide open for all sorts of things. And, uh, but anyway, on Sunday night, uh, I lived in a nice neighborhood where the men and women couldn't read. 
And so it was my job on Sunday night to read stories to them. Mm-hmm. And they brought the book. And then they got me stuck with Count of Monte Cristo. To this day, <laughs> I will not read anymore about Count of Monte Cristo. I read it. I didn't understand it, but I read it. And they would help me. When that came a difficult word, they would they would make up the word for me. And it was, uh, that was, I'm talking probably at greater length with this group, or probably it's the group that I knew, knew the most. And that was, and then when it came to Christmas, they did have a Menin Jesus, but not as elaborate as the, uh, the, the Azorians. Azorians. And um, they had it, uh, and they could come in also if the child were wet or the child or dry, the same approach. And there was always a table set of all the things uh, that they could, could uh, partake of. And uh, we got, and as for gifts, we got, uh, we put our shoes out. Never asked talking for a shoe. And we always got the inevitable orange and walnut and uh, coal and a gold piece. Until I learned that in this country they had, um, they had more, they had a tree. And uh, they had stockings, and they had great big boxes, and they had doll cats and dolls. Those things I could tell you. I, I noticed that I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and then I became a I've told this story repeatedly, and uh, but it's worth telling because it just does a better job of putting across what I want to say than than any other way, and that is I was acquainted with the. Uh, with the um, mailman. I arrived here in April and the schools don't didn't start until uh, we're in the and it was foolish to in be enrolled and so I had five months of just freedom from school to learn and uh, I had a doctor who, who bought me a mirror and told me how to use my lips and Pronounce. pronounce words uh, and then I had a mailman who let me go around with him to read the, the names and to pronounce the letters on the <laughs> on, uh, the alphabet on the, the things and then he, he was the one who told me about Christmas tree and Santa Claus and I could imagine a, a man a big fat man in the thing without wheels going through the air and uh, <laughs> that was asking a little bit too much, but he said yes, it was, and to write a letter. So I wrote a letter, and I tell him what I want. I wanted because at that time I was already making two cents a, a narrow. Every time I went to narrow, when somebody didn't want it, I, after uh, well, yes, yeah, so, uh, whenever I had the time or wanted to, I'd go around and ask if they wanted anything from the store, and I wasn't ashamed to point. My mother might, or anybody else, would be ashamed to, to call attention to themselves. And so they uh, they would write it, have somebody write it, before, and they too would take a slip of paper. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, so he told me to write a letter to Santa Claus, and I wrote to Santa Claus what I wanted, a cart. I was going to make two cents a uh, Throw, you know, for anyone who wanted an errand. Like mm-hmm. a good, they call it a goodwill cart. 
and I wanted a doll and I wanted uh, rubber boots and I wanted a raincoat and I went on and on and on and on and on and then he told me to put it in the stove and I put it in the stove and those days you you burned coal and and then I cried a little no I couldn't even no <laughs> it just couldn't have nothing to do Well, you can't do anything about it. You already put it and I can't write it for you. So, then came Christmas. And there was the inevitable um, walnut <laughs> and coal <laughs> and all the things like that. And I wouldn't talk to the man for a long time. He told a lie. And the man, he got quite worried. He was grandfather to the present selectman we have here. And uh, anyway, he told me, and he, he felt bad that I, that I felt bad. And he called a woman to interpret for me, and for him. And he pumped it out of me. What was it that I had done wrong? Because it never failed. And then he hit upon the idea. And he told the woman to ask me, when I wrote the letter and put it in the stove and went up the chimney, did I write it in Portuguese or English? Mm-hmm. Now, you ought to have known that I could only write one language, and that was Portuguese. And the woman told him, and I said, of course I wrote in Portuguese. He said, ah, tell her that the Santa Claus in this country cannot <laughs> read Portuguese. <laughs> so... But the, you know what he did? About ten days after that, I got my cat, my doll, and everything. I think he went around asking the people in the neighborhood to contribute. <laughs> I never asked. I just accepted it. <laughs> that was a... But there was special, special food, very special food. And the night before Christmas, and just about two months before, you they caught, to, today they call it trash fishing. By the way, um, I'll come on here anytime you want me to f- argue about this trash fish. I was fed on trash fish, and I lived to tell it. And then I look at some of them and wonder what that they, if they ate a little trash fish, they would be better off. So, um... You you can talk about the trash fish right now. If you I want. can't. No. I, oh, that takes a long time. I okay. have a list of trash fish. We'll do a we'll do a but special. They, on. They, one of the trash, what they would call trash fish, was a what we call dog fish mm-hmm. or little shark. It comes only in the fall of the year, and it's a blue, little blue, and then like this, and you and you dry them up. You gutter them and then you uh, gut them rather and then you hang them up to dry with a with a little stick across to keep the wings open and the half open and it dries up and then you, you remove the, the skin and you soak it you, well they're soaking it in salt all every so often and dry it up it's like salt cod and they make it out of that they make a stew and that is a, it's a fast night it's a night that you fast and then, then you have fruit, you have nuts, you have the all the little things uh, that you just have, just peculiar to that, um, to that uh, occasion. And that is the food. And they sing, they sang all the time. They sang, and you allowed one item of clothing that must be brand new. 
Mm-hmm. And the, the big part of Christmas is on the 12th night, January 6th, like the three kings. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the way they... Now they you have those three groups. Before I introduce the last group, which probably I'll leave for another time. For the next show. I will end the right here. And this happened now. The men who stayed here, came here and went fishing and saved their money, had no homes. They did not buy a house. They did not rent an apartment. They stayed in homes made up and established specifically for the need, for the use of these men who were who had no home, who had no wife, no family here. And some of them stayed, some of them were unmarried and they married the girls who served them. And uh, and the woman in charge was always a very kind person who, who banked the money and kept, kind of wrote letters for them and all that, so that it was a, a marvelous institution that that they had, but it's all gone now. They don't have those boarding houses anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, my, uh, oh, then you have these three. The black never had a fight, or they had person-to-person fight, but not group-to-group fight. The Azorians had ill feeling. There was ill feeling. I don't know who started it between the the Azorians and the Continentals. And I think it's because the Azorians resented it because they were taught people. And when these people came who had better language, spoke better, wrote, their, their um, houses were furnished differently. They all had lace curtains. Oh my mm-hmm. God. They and the Irish. Lace curtains. And uh, spoke better. Better looking too. Because it was a purer uh, streak of people, you know. Uh, they n- rarely mixed with any other. While in, in the islands they were the, the islands were wide open to English people, to Englishmen. They're wide open to the Scandinavians. So that there were streaks. There was a lot of mixing. The, the mixing there. And, but they, we were dark-haired, and they both did blonde hair. We had black eyes or brown eyes. They boasted blue eyes. They even had red-haired. So that my mother began to suspect all sorts of things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not my mother, but a group there. So, um, and that, that was the feeling then, my dear. They began to be a sad thing. And that is, they did not want any relationship or marriage. They frowned upon the mixing. And there was contention. Mm-hmm there and ill feeling oh such strong you could cut it with a knife mm, then came the sap then came something in our town a reaction to what might happen what was happening to 
Italian groups in Boston, Polish groups out in the western part of Massachusetts. And they begin to feel that they were too foreigners, they were foreigners. In this little neck of the woods they were very comfortable. And uh, so that they, uh, uh, they, well, I, forgot, I was, I've forgotten now what I was saying, but they were, anyway, they were, they were comfortable that nothing like that would happen, but it did happen. And then they marched to Sacco Vendetti case. Right. And, oops, and this was the beginning. I think it, I think it would be very interesting on our next program to discuss the Sacco and Vanzetti case yes, and how I it related. It, you lived through it and how it related to And then I'll bring them this to the point and that to this and that is it was because of this of the of the of the, uh, certain powers in the American scene who wanted to meet, keep America American that we have this dissension and conflicts, Conf conflicts and, and, and conflicts and that brought are the two together and that's where it became the tide turn and you have now Portuguese a Portuguese descent with the uh, in, in the government power in the government and mm -hmm. in, uh, in social life okay thank you Grace um, it's time to come to a close of uh, another segment of Provincetown Roots. You have been listening to Grace Collinson of Provincetown, interviewed by Julia Cohen in a program called Provincetown Roots, which later was renamed the Sands of Time in order to encompass the history of the Lower Cape. Join us each month, the second and fourth week, for the Sands of Time. Your engineer today has been Tom Conklin, your host, Joyce Johnson. Have a good day. <laughs>